How's it going, coaches? If you'd like to support our coaches and the podcast, go to the store section of our website, runthepower.com, and choose from three different designs of t-shirts, long sleeves, and sweatshirts, costing as little as $20. We are now partnering with Lyman Performance to give our listeners the best deal to date on their suit bone landmine attachment, which is a sleeve attachment for a standard weightlifting bar that allows athletes to keep their elbows in while executing landmine movements. Go to linemanperformance.com, order their product, and enter the code RTPNATION in all capital letters at checkout to get $10 off your order and a free RTP t-shirt. Again, go to linemanperformance.com, enter RTPNATION in all caps at checkout for $10 off and a free podcast t-shirt. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Powerlift. We don't just like Powerlift because of their awesome name. We also use Powerlift at Broken Arrow and Ankeny to design both of our facilities. They not only have a good product, they also have a bunch of good dudes. They don't come off as those greasy bad car salesmen that you run into a lot of the time. Instead, you get to work with guys like former guest J.R. Conrad, guys that truly care about the game and your football team and want to help you build your strength program. Powerlift is a trusted program that is designed in the University of Oklahoma, University of Iowa, Baylor University, and Mater D High School's weight facility just in the last few years, along with many, many more. Let Powerlift take your unique needs and use them to design your state-of-the-art facility. From concept to completion, choose Powerlift. Powerful ideas, powerful results, made in the USA. Go check out Powerlift at power-lift.com. Again, for any of your weight facility needs, go check out Powerlift at power-lift.com and tell them Run the Power sent you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by SkyCoach. SkyCoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. It's got 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium, any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. We use this at Broken Arrow. Uh, We've got the butt shot and the wide shot. It is crucial in games to be able to see that. I can tell, uh, did a team get into four and four eyes? Are they just really loose threes? Uh, Is it a a tight shade or is he head up? Um, It works great for us. I can tell where they're slanting, when they're blitzing. Uh, You know, so many times you've had a kid come off the field and say they're getting uh, a guy blitzing in every gap, right? But here you can go back, you can look at it. We've got our OC up in the press box looking at the wide, me on the sideline looking at the tight, and we can actually hook these up to TVs on the sideline, show the kids. It works great. It's worked every time. Uh, I love being able to use it. Sky Coach, to be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Sky Coach, the market leader in sideline replay. Visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. Again, if you want a great sideline replay, go to myskycoach.com to learn more. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Go check them out at their website, teamattackacademy.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Micah Knoll. Coach Knoll is the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator at Kingfisher High School in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. Prior to Kingfisher, Coach Knoll was the offensive line coach at the University of Central Oklahoma. Listen as we talk with Coach Knoll about his interesting journey, coaching and playing ball, learning from a number of great offensive line coaches from Oklahoma, and running Trench Mafia with J.R. Conrad. You can follow Coach Knoll on Twitter at Coach Knoll Dog. 
Hope you guys enjoy. Really glad to have you on. Um, you know, first we're just kind of we'll, we'll kind of let you um, you know kind of tell your story. Obviously, um, you know now coaching in high school, but coached through college. Um, so you, you know, kind of bring us through how that worked out, and and uh, also you know obviously you know played up and through till you started coaching, and and, and now coaching high school. So just kind of um, you know tell our listeners or, or talk to us about you know how that uh, how you got to, to where you are now, and and now I know you're also. Uh, working with Jr., who we had on before, um, with the, his trench with uh, trench mafia. So just kind of talk about all that, really. Okay, sounds good. Um, I grew up on on a farm northwest of Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, went to Chisholm High School. Uh, we ran the beer in high school, so that's kind of what I cut my teeth with. Um, didn't really know a whole lot different at the time. You know, coaches said block down. You blocked down. If nobody was there, you climbed a linebacker, and that's uh, that's what I did, and and that was pretty fun at the time. Um, out of high school, I panhandled State University because I thought that um, after graduation, I, I may end up going home and, and running the farm and all that, and it took me um, just about a semester to figure <laughs> out that that's not really what I wanted to do. Um, I, I I, I didn't want to uh, drive a truck and, and feed cows when it was 35 below outside and chop ice all the time. Um, I, I really wanted to be a football coach. Um, fortunately, when I was at Panhandle State, I got to play for Coach Bill Biedenboe, who's the OU offensive line coach. Yeah. And yep. uh, I, I, I got to play for him for his first year of coaching, and uh, we learned a whole lot about each other that year. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That was, that was a good time. He's uh, he's got a great personality, and uh, when he said do it, you you did not ask any questions. You just simply did it. Um, so so having played for him, um, I I just decided that probably I, I needed to go to Southwestern. Uh, not that Panhandle was a bad place. Um, you know, there's a lot of good looking girls out there behind every tree. Problem is, there's not a whole lot of trees. <laughs> <laughs> That makes it tough in college. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it does. Um, so so I, I transferred to Southwestern, and um, we, ran, we ran the I formation. We ran power, ran counter, we ran toss, we ran dive. Um, and, and really, at Southwestern is really, is really where I started forming kind of who I am as, as a coach, kind of really what I, I want to be. Um, kind of when I'm when I'm on the field coaching and at practice uh interacting with other guys I, I will tell you that that my my high school coach and my college head coach my high school head coach and my college head coach have both passed away um I considered both of those guys mentors and and when your mentors pass away and they passed away early in my coaching career you know you've really got to look to other guys you, you really have to branch out. You've got to meet people. Um, and, and not only meet people, but when you meet people, you've got to ask them the right question. Yes. Why are you doing what you do? And not only why, but how. Probably more so, how are you doing what you're doing? So after, 
after I got done playing at Southwestern, um, a guy who coached against me in high school, Frank Piccarillo at Watonga High School, who beat my brains out my junior and senior year, won back-to-back state championships, gave me the opportunity to do my student teaching. And Watonga, if, if anybody knows about Western Oklahoma football back in the day, they, they were kind of running the show in the 90s. Uh, multiple state championships, multiple runner-ups. Um, Coach Piccarillo ran a tight ship. Um, we were 11 personnel, 12 personnel. We were quarterback run game. Our quarterback was our best running back, and it didn't matter if there <laughs> if there were 12 guys in the box. Coach Piccarillo said, figure out a way to block them. Mm-hmm. So I, I learned at an early age that you better have a rule, and if they change something, then you better have a rule that matches what they change. Um, so that was that was really, really a great experience for me to, to truly cut my teeth as a coach because um, we ran the football. And we ran the football all the time. If we ran a boot, um, then it was probably third and 12. And, <laughs> and that quarterback second option was to run the ball. He had one throwing option, and the second option was to run. So when I said we were a running team, brother, we, we were a running team. Um, I really got my first big break in coaching right after my student teaching because Coach Piccarillo got the head coaching job at Ponca City. Um, being from Enid, Ponca City's not that far away. And, and I thought, shoot, 6A job for my first job. Coach Piccarillo, I love what he's doing. Let's go. And he hired me, and I, I was actually his first hire. And um, we got to slowly bring in other coaches through the spring. He, he actually hired me in February. So we got to install the offense and defense and slowly bring in the coaches that he wanted. Um, one of the guys that he hired, the, I think the next guy was Rob Fry, our defensive coordinator. And I consider Rob Fry to be one of my best friends, not only in the coaching profession, but, but in my life. He introduced me to so many people my first four years of coaching at Ponca City from 2000 season to 2003 um, season and just watching him interact with guys at clinics and listening to him ask those other guys the questions of how and why you're doing things um, really really helped shape me um, and again we, we took that same running mentality to Ponca City and we, we led the state we led 6a in rushing I think three out of the four years that I was there um, been very fortunate everywhere I've been to have good running quarterbacks. Uh, it, if they could throw, that was a bonus. Um, spring of 2003, I was approached by Chris Reisenhoover, who's an Eastern Oklahoma guy. Yeah. He had just got the head job at Miami, Oklahoma. He's at Stigler now. But uh, if anybody knows anything about Chris Reisenhoover, boy, he is he's offensive-minded. He's uh, He's always going to find some kind of wrinkle. He, he's going to he's going to formation you and motion you and shift you, and then after that, he's going to run a trick play. <laughs> as, as, as soon as you think he's shifting to something to run one of the base plays, now we're running a trick play. Um, and and really, what what took me to Miami 
was to be able to take my my run game stuff and to mix it with his passing game and screen game stuff. And and what we did up there for the 2004 and 2005 season was pretty awesome. Um, we we were pretty 50-50. We had a, a great athletic quarterback that could throw. Uh, we won a bunch of games. We, we did have our season ended um, on a long road trip to Clinton. And uh, <laughs> those trips usually don't end up very well when you have to play in the Tornado Bowl. But um, no, we had good teams up there, and Clinton was really good. I, I believe they ended up winning it that year. Um, so after – well, during my time at Miami, I was able to get to know the coaching staff at NEO, and particularly Steve Patterson, who was the defensive coordinator. And Steve Patterson – left NEO to go to UCO to become the defensive coordinator, had an offensive line, kind of slash tight end guy, GA spot open up, and he called me. I drove down, interviewed with uh, Chuck Langston, who was the head coach at the time, and sat on the couch, and Coach Langston didn't even ask me about football. He asked me about life. Who are you? What, what, what are you doing in your life? And we, we just hit it off. Offered me the job on the spot. I took it, um, and I was with Coach Langston two out of my three years at UCO and really, really learned even more than I ever thought I could about running power in A-gap. Hmm. And then yeah. when, when – yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. That's right. And, and then when people know you're running the ball in A-gap and you're running power and they try to shut it off, it doesn't matter. We're running A-gap in power. Third and one, what are you running? Don't even ask. It's, it's a gap power. Coach, <laughs> it's, it's now it's second and eight. What are we doing? You don't have to ask. We're running. We're running power in a gap. <laughs> right. Yep. And um, and that was just that was really 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 great, awesome situation. Learned so much football. Um, got to recruit a whole bunch of quality people. Um, and and if you've never if you've never had to go into somebody's house. And look at a mother and a father and sell yourself and your university to them and, and their son and, and sell a vision of what you think that their son's education will be like, then you, you need to get some of that because you find out more about who you are and, and who you trust in the coaching profession and, and really if you, if you trust who you're working for and what you're doing. And uh, just just a great great awesome situation um we had a coaching staff change um i was fortunate enough to stay on uh, tracy holland got hired and we hired jay wilkinson as the offensive coordinator i got to stay on as the full-time offensive line coach got promoted and we changed um the whole culture and mindset of an a-gap power run team <laughs> to Spread air raid. With, how with how that, how'd that start out? Or how'd, how'd that go uh, day one of learning that, hey, we're going from, you know, telling the guys, hey, we're going A-gap power, and it's second and eight we're going A-gap power, to uh, it may be third and one on, on the five, and we're going to be in, uh, you know, doubles. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take it a step farther. Not only that, but we did straight old-school Texas Tech vertical pass pro. So to have those guys with their hand on the ground 
you know, digging up the turf, ready to block somebody down or back block or, or square pull to now you're in a two-point stance and your weight's on your butt and you're backpedaling, hoping you don't make contact with somebody because the quarterback's at seven yards and the ball's gone. That's right. That's, I, I've that, been through that too. You're, you're just hoping, uh, hoping they don't bull rush you too quick. Exactly, and hope you don't end up on their highlight reel. That's um, exactly right. A lot of bruised sternums from just getting ran into from eight yards depth at full speed. You know, I, I learned one of the best lessons of my life, um, not only teaching more pass pro, but the defensive lineman had started going to the one arm is longer than two. Yes. And really sticking that, that outside arm in and then raking across with the other. And, and boy, that's, that's hard to defend. I can't so believe I don't see I, that I would, more often. I, I agree with that, Coach. I, and I don't see that very often um, in high school, it doesn't seem like, or, or even see a, a ton of coaches teach it. But we had one defensive line coach, and I can't remember who it was, teach it in college. And when those guys started getting really good at it, it was, it was tough. It was really tough. It, it is. It's a booger to defend. It really is. When those guys get that forward lane, and stick it, and if you're not ready for it, it's it's trouble. It's big time trouble. Um, I, I was fortunate enough my my last year there at um, well, in between my second and third year, right right after Coach Hall got hired, to go to that cool clinic up in Cincinnati. If, yeah. if, if you guys haven't been to that, that is golly, it, it's worth a million dollars, and and it doesn't cost near that, but it's it's worth every penny. Get getting to sit next to uh, Joe Wickline, and you're listening to Howard Mudd, and and Wickline, you know, he grabs your arm and he's squeezing it because he's so freaking fired up about what Howard Mudd is talking about, and you're like, yeah, this is the real deal. Um, that that was awesome. I'd about to say, yeah, that's that's bucket list material for me. Walls, have you been you been to a Cool Clinic yet? I, I had a chance. I was gonna go uh, the first year I was coaching tight ends in the spring at Augustana. We were going to go up there. Our O line coach ended up going, but I ended up taking another job, so they weren't going to pay for me to to head out there. I, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't making enough bank to be able to, to pay for the trip on my own, so I ended up missing out because I'd already taken another job in uh, in Texas at the time. So I, I was pretty disappointed. But now it's like you know, Coach Nelson had said he went up there. You, you can get the the copies of it, and you you can watch a lot of the speakers. But to me, it's it still wouldn't be the same as as being there with Nall Dog and and Wickline and those guys, because all the, the offshoot clinics are what I hear, the legendary stuff, you know, the, the bar clinics exactly. and the, <laughs> and the, the clinics, you know, that are, that are going down on the side. So that'd be the whole, yep. the whole treat. And it's like you said, figuring out and networking with, with guys and then knowing what questions to ask. That's a place where you could really hone your skills. Yeah. But one of the guys that I met there, his name is AJ Blazik. He was at Fort Hay state at the time. Oh, coach. Coach, I, I, it's that's funny you say that. AJ wanted to hire me uh, as a tight ends coach, and I, I probably should have been smart enough to take the job, but I turned him down. And the whole reason was is I never heard from the head coach. I thought it was kind of weird that the only guy I ever talked to was the old line coach. <laughs> right. Oh, that's that's a little iffy. Yeah, AJ's a great dude. I'll let you continue. Sorry. Oh no, it, it's all good. AJ is a guy that that I still keep in contact with a, a lot. Bounce ideas off of. Um, and, and I mean, Rutgers would be a great place to go visit. You know, it's up in New York and or up by yeah. New York. Uh, that would be a fun trip in itself. So, um, 
after after my three years at UCO, I, I sure thought I wanted to be a, a head coach in high school. And, you know, we, we don't get into education and, and the game of football in high school really to make money unless you're either in, in administration or you're a head coach. And and to be honest, boy, that um, that position coaching in, in Division Two, that that's not really paying the bills. Um, no, that was so amazing went, to me when I found that out. <laughs> yeah, it's now you know there wasn't any teaching involved. It was football all day, right? And, and that's got all perks. But you know, you also got to put a house, so you know, a roof over your head, and you got to be able to get transportation to work. Um, yeah. yeah, you don't have a car like they do in D one. Exactly. Don't you don't get your cell phone paid for, and, and at the end of the day, you got to keep Mama happy too. Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, Chris Reisenhoover, head coach at Miami, left and took the Stigler job and said, "Hey, you need to go up. You need to go back to Miami. You need to go home. Go back with the in laws. Go take that head coaching job." And uh, and I was like, "Well." You know, we were we were pretty good. Uh, we were in 4A at the time. Miami had made the jump up to 5A, and they were just coming off a close loss in the semifinals to El Reno. What I didn't take into account, and what I should have, is the high number of seniors from that graduating class. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, boy, graduation is something else. So I went up there. 5A, we were in the same district as uh, Booker T and Bixby and Bishop Kelly. And, um, man, they were all just loaded, just loaded at the time. Bixby didn't even win the district and ended up in the state finals and got beat by, uh, I can't remember, Carl Albert or um, or Tulsa Central. I, I can't remember which one, but but they ended up getting beat. Wow, that's, it's, it's, that's murderer's row right there. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was pretty rough. Um, but again, I was the head coach. Thought I wanted to do things my way. I had been at Miami before. We we were kind of fifty fifty. Um, great running schemes. Rising Hoover never really changed that. But when I went to Miami, you know, coming off the air raid with Wilkinson. I, I kind of liked it. I sunk my teeth into it so much that that's that's what I rolled with. I, I rolled with the air raid. Uh, we were wristbands. We were going fast. We had huge splits. Trying to teach a teach a guy to how to vertical pass that in high school, who had had been you know kind of run first, um, didn't just it, it it was mixing oil and water. Um, Should have seen it coming. Didn't. Didn't have a great experience, and luckily, Lauren Montgomery, who I've known forever, uh, worked um, his offensive line camp since day one, um, got the Bixby job. Called him up. He said, hey, come on. Let's have you coach offensive line. Let's get this thing rolling. And uh, got to spend three years with Lauren. And you guys know Lauren. I heard the podcast with Lauren. And – Man, we, we, we had we had some good things going and we were in six A one and just just couldn't beat the big boys. You know? Made the playoffs, but you know, when you're playing jinx week one and week eleven, usually not gonna end very good. 
it makes it tough. Not going to start very yeah. good, not going to end very good. <laughs> you know, luckily, um, the, the great thing about playing a team twice is you can really gauge your progress. Yes. So if you open with and, you know, you, you don't score a lot of points, and conversely, you probably give up more than you really should, then week 11, you score more points, you get more drives going, defense is off the field, and they don't give up as many points. So, you know, there was definitely some progress made. Um, and really, probably when I was at Bixby is really where I, I got to know J.R. Conrad the best. Yeah. Um, he, he had been working the offensive line camps before. I'd run across um, him at clinics, knew that he was just a stallion at OU, uh, played in the league, played for Parcells, um, heard, you know, heard the stories. And I was like, man, this guy, this guy has, he's got it figured out. JR, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, JR is the best offensive line coach in the state of Oklahoma. He's the godfather. Um, he, he, he is, is, when he started Trench Mafia, I, I got in on the second year, you know, on his podcast, he told the story when he started, he started with one guy. And, I got in the next year whenever we got some more guys going. And, and, and that, that's been a game changer for me because whenever I left Bixby and got to Kingfisher, um, I, I took a lot of what kind of, kind of he was wanting to get done because at Kingfisher we're going to run the ball and we're going to run inside zone. And, and, mm -hmm. and being with Lauren at Bixby, is, is really kind of where I shifted and transitioned from, you know, being a power guy to really being that inside-outside zone guy. And, it, and to use the basketball analogy, if you live by the three, you die by the three. Well, you know, we, we ran inside zone and outside zone. And if that's what you're going to run, that's what you got to practice. Agreed. And the more we practiced it, the more we loved it. And – Every day when you come to Kingfisher, and, and you can ask any lineman that's played for me at Kingfisher, they know they know the drills that we're doing. They know them in sequential order. They can bark out the commands. And uh, I, I had a conversation with one of my, my guys that's playing up at Wyoming. Uh, he was home over Christmas break. And, and we were just, you know, shooting the bull. And he said, inside foot. And I was like, yep, you know where it's going. He said, inside number. And I said, every time. And, uh, you know, just chatting it up and, and talking to, to guys that, that were really good, but that got it, that you could teach them something and they could use their athletic ability and, uh, and go with it. It's, it's really, really fun. So I've been at Kingfisher for this is my fifth year, um, offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. And, and really for the first time, other than when I was the head coach in Miami, really getting to do things my way on offense. Um, you know, when you're the offensive line coach, working for the offensive coordinator, obviously you guys put your minds together, figure out the best way. But usually the offensive coordinator leans on you for the run game stuff and how you want to pass pro and all that. But now, I mean, that's, that's me. Yeah. Now, I've got I've got great assistance. Don't get me wrong, but you know, 
if I want to run inside zone on first and 10 and we get two yards, I'm, I'm probably running inside zone again because I'm pissed that we only got two yards. <laughs> and, uh, gosh, we were playing John for one year. And uh, all, all these guys that, that just won, that they just won it, they were sophomores. They were good, but, you know, they knew they were needing to stop the inside zone. And we didn't have a very good day, uh, first half running the ball on the inside. And uh, one of the defensive coaches said, I bet you don't run inside zone very much in the second half, then do you? <laughs> I said, whoa, brother, watch this. <laughs> so hold, it was – What's the saying on Twitter, hold my beer? <laughs> yeah, hold my beer and watch this. And I don't know if it was – you know, I, I don't know if he was being genuine or, or if he was just trying to light a fire. But, man, whatever he did, it worked. And uh, I, I think we ran for – 250 on inside zone alone in the second half. Um, I, I might have thrown a, a, a Gatorade water can. I, I, I might have said a few choice words and uh, might have might have kicked a whiteboard. But whatever it took, that boy, that's that's what happened. <laughs> but it sounds like it worked. Whatever it was that you allegedly did. Yeah, but so so I've I've really been fortunate. Um, I, I've really been lucky to cross paths with, with so many great guys along the way. Um, like I said, my, my head coach in high school and college have, have both passed. Um, I, I've had to search for new mentors. Some I have seeked out. Some have, have, have come to find me just because of other people that have crossed paths, and, and I'm very fortunate about that. But... Um, the first guy I worked for, Frank Piccarillo, is already in the Hall of Fame. Um, state championship wins, r- really good motivator. Um, Chris Reisenhoover, is, is a, he's a freaking Hall of Fame offensive mind. The guy, the guy knows how to coach offensive football great with kids. Um, the, the guys I worked for at UCO, Chuck Langston's the offensive line coach at North Texas now. Great offensive line coach. Yep. Just learned so many things from him. Uh, Lauren Montgomery, I mean, how many other guys in the state have won as many state championships as him? No, there ain't not, many. Not a whole lot. No. <laughs> not, Al, Alan not, Trimble. <laughs> exactly. exactly that, that jinx tree right there has got a whole bunch of gold on it. And and then now working working for Jeff Myers, um, won one state championship so far, but four four silver balls. And and over over a hundred wins in in ten in ten seasons, way over a hundred wins. Um, mm-hmm. The playoff wins is is the number that's so staggering. Um, just just I, I've been so blessed to be at good football places um, and and meet people. And and we all know a lot of times coaching's overrated. You got to have kids. And and and. I've, I've just I've, I've been really blessed. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to sell Jr. and Trench Mafia short because just this this latest kind of transformation, especially passing game wise. Yes. With 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 the drive kick and and with the hand placement and and I want to ask you guys because. My hand placement in pass pro, I, I'm, I've been all over the board. I've been thumbs in mouth. I've been thumbs on tits. I've been 
thumbs at belly button, thumbs on the waist. I, I, I've been all over the gamut now. And now with, with turning the thumbs out and the pinkies in, I mean, when you do it yourself, it just naturally brings your elbows in. So, so that's where I'm at now with, with, with the pinkies together and I'm carrying them right at belly button high, maybe a, maybe a tick higher just depending on the athlete. But what are you guys doing with your hands on pass pro? I, I like mine. I like my guys to have them a little bit higher, but um, we've had some guys that carry them low. Um, I kind of let them play with it a little bit. But uh, day one, how I teach it, it's, it's uh, bring it back. And I, don't, I honestly don't talk a whole lot about hands. I talk a little bit more about elbows. So I talk about you know, squeezing your rib cage with your elbows and your hands kind of, um, if you do that, your hands are just kind of going to be in a good position, it seems like, for us. Um, now I had a tackle that liked to carry his hands uh, down by his waist, you know, and, and it worked for him, and so I didn't really change it. But um, I never really liked that. I, th I think it takes too long to get your hands out there, especially as a tackle. Um, I think the tackles really should have a little bit higher, carry their hands a little higher. And then um, I talk to my guards about sometimes being able to be a little lower because you're going to get, you know, on the inside, you're going to get that big three technique maybe that, that's trying to bull rush and, and create pressure up the middle. So, um, you know, maybe we talk about carrying our hands a little lower. That way we can really punch up on the rise, try to get them up out of their hips, you know, and, and be able to have really good elbows at guard where sometimes at tackle it seems to be more of a stab for us when you're going against that speed guy. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So that's, that's kind of my story. That's, that's what I've been. That's what's what I've been doing. Um, probably I would say right now I, I'm at the happiest place of my life, uh, not only coaching, but just what I've got my guys doing. I, I feel so comfortable with it. Uh, the, the, just the, the, Every minute that I get to spend with JR, whether it's talking about Trench Mafia, whether it's talking about power lift equipment, whether it's talking about LaCharles Bentley, uh, whether it's talking about fishing or family or faith or anything, um, just just cherishing ev every minute with, with JR and, and, and all that he brings to the table. He's obviously, like you said, a great football mind, but you, you hit on that faith in family. Um, it's awesome to hear him talk about those two things. It's, it's really something special when you, when you see a big guy like that who's played big-time college football and in the NFL, and then, um, you know, that's what he comes back to every time, right? Faith in family, and, and, it, and, it's, and he does it in a way that really gets you ready to run through a wall, ready to practice, wishing you were still playing football and not, not coaching it. it. It's pretty incredible. So, um, you know, I, I can assume that it would be it'd be nice to be around that every week. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty special, and, and I cherish it. And, and I hate I, I, it's not that I hate going to clinics like last weekend. I was down at the Red River and Durant because picked up a lot of great things, RPO stuff, um, uh, some some spring drills and whatnot. Uh, hated being away from Trench Mafia and, and that time with those guys. And, and JR, but I, I did get to pick up a few nuggets from that clinic. I was just going to say, you, you, you say RPO, and I, I've heard a, a couple of coaches say this. They, they think with the, the advent of the RPO, and I don't know if you knew this, Null Dog, but I'm the first RPO coordinator in America, which, which I, <laughs> I, I, I – yeah. yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, I, and, I, and here's the thing. I mean, it's just title only because I really don't know that much about them, but, but I'm coordinating them. <laughs> um, cool. But – Anyway, uh, 
there's a lot of coaches you, you talk to now and, and some offensive linemen say that they think that basically the, the RPO, especially in high school and maybe even some of your, your college ranks, they think it's going to be the death of pass protection. They're like, why, why do I even need to coach pass protection if we have, you know, RPOs? I'm just going to run the ball or I'm going to, I'm going to throw, throw RPO and, and all we have to do is worry about blocking the, the run game. What are your thoughts on that? To me, I think that's pretty short-sighted because honestly, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think kids, if kids can learn how to pass protect, especially as an offensive line athlete, as they're being called now, and I agree with that, you know, I think learning how to pass protect and learning how to move backwards and learning how to, to shift your weight and move makes them a better athlete. And not to mention, if they do want to move up in levels, it's something they're going to have to do. I mean, you hear, you hear it all the time, okay, it's going to be tough to draft a kid from Georgia Tech and, and have to teach exactly. him how to pass, pass protect because he's had, you know, he's got arthritis in his wrist because he's so heavy in his stance. So, I mean, I, I, what, what's your thought on some of that stuff? I think it, it kind of bothers me a little bit when some of the offensive line coaches say it because I think maybe it's being a hair lazy. I don't know. No, I, I, I think it's totally short-sighted. Um, we, I call an RPO when I think that the defense is going to do multiple things. I want to give the quarterback out if they're going to do something pre-snap, post-snap. What I like, and and to steal a line from from the mullet coach Mike Gundy, is chicks (laughs) dig the touchdown. They dig the long ball. So what I like, and fortunately at at Kingfisher, boy, we've got not only a quarterback right now that can flat-out sling it, but we've got some cats that are tall and can run. So – by running the RPOs, the defense is not – everybody says, I'm going to sit back and just let you catch that hitch and we'll rally to it. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are going to come up when, when you're getting methodically taken down. You're going to come up. And I, I love to throw the ball now. now I, I'm an inside zone guy. But when you've got a quarterback that can sling it and you're comfortable with your guys in pass protection – I like to get my running back out, and I like to run five-man routes, and, and I want to see that concept develop. I want to see my lineman athletes back up and not only play in space, I want to see them pick up the stunts in front of them. I want to see them pick up a, a, a nut or a ton. I want to see them pick up a slide and a zone blitz. That, that's the stuff that, that you practice and you work on, and when it, when it happens, you're like, yes, the light bulb has gone off with those guys. I don't want to just run RPOs and, and catch that, that quick speed out and catch a slant or catch the stick. I want to go downtown. Yeah. And that's where and, I, 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 I totally agree with you. No, I, I just think, I mean, you know, what, okay, third and long, you're on RPO. Uh, cool. Hand it off. You know, we'll tackle you. You know I mean? There, there's so many exactly. situations in a football game. Okay. Two, two minute drill. You know, we're down by eight points. You know, you gonna try to run the ball up and down the field when you got a minute thirty left and no timeouts. I mean, I I, I think yeah. it really limits you if if you're you're not gonna want to coach some of that that aspect of it. And plus, like you said, if I want to crank the thing downfield, hell, I'll, I'll stick it in the the running back's gut. We'll fake that inside zone, that split action. I can still protect with seven guys, and it's a slide right. protection. It looks like my zone, and I'm cranking the ball down the field. So I mean. I just think it, it really limits you. And, and I've just seen a, a few coaches that have kind of said some things like that. It's like, you know, I, 
I don't really understand the, all this, this stuff with, with pass protection. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know. You know, we got guys on the field that can catch the ball. We got guys that can throw the ball. You know, we, we kind of would like to make this a team game. We shouldn't just have two guys touch the ball the entire game. You know, I, yeah. I just think it, it, it kind of bothers me, and, and it also kind of puts a limit on the offensive line. It's like, dude, these guys are athletes. And it's stuff you can be working in the offseason to make your guys better athletes, and they feel better about themselves. We actually, and, and this, I, I hate to even say this, but we have as many pancakes on pass blocking as we do run blocking because the, yeah. the guys take it serious. And when they get locked up and they know that ball's gone, they're going to drive their feet. They're going to torque that guy and try to put him on the ground. And, and to me, that's as much of a success as, as that right tackle hooking that five technique and, and driving him 10 yards down the field and then putting him on his back. To, to me, that's – shoot, that, that's awesome. Coach, you were asking about um, hand placement and pass pro, so I, that's what I was going to ask uh, Walls. It's something I stole from him was um, when I was, you know, first coaching it, I had my guys' hands and pass pro, um, you know, pretty far out in front of their body. That way they could punch and get their hands there quick. Um, talking to Walls, and, and it, I changed it about halfway through the season, I started bringing their hands really close to, like, their, their stomach or their chest, wherever it was. Um, and I and the reason was, you know, so so – defense lineman didn't have something to play with so I don't know walls really where you got that or whatever but I know I stole that from you and it's been really good for us well De Denver Johnson was the one that had said it and and again for me not being an offensive line coach not playing offensive line I, I kind of sat back and I was the the analyzer you know so I'm, I'm sitting in the back and then it was like coach Knoll said you got to figure out what questions you want to ask so he, yep. he would say this where he wanted where he wanted their elbow placement, where he wanted their hand placement, and then I would be like, okay, coach, why do you teach that? And he's like, well, hell, if, I, if I'm putting my hands out in front like I'm a boxer, he goes, I'm just giving levers to the defensive lineman to play with. So I got these things out here. He's like, he's like if, I, if I pull and I bring my hands tight to my chest and my elbows naturally come back, he's like, now the only thing they have to strike me is going to be my body. And he goes, most of the time, that's a good thing for an offensive lineman. If that guy wants to get in a little bit tighter on me, that's perfect. Because any, any good pass rusher should want to have extension and want to have space. So if the only thing he's going to have is, is either attacking my shoulder or trying to attack my chest, I'm going to have a good chance for him to get into my strike zone and I'm going to be able to hit him. So to me, I'm like, dude, that makes sense. And he's like, he's like Walls, if perfect pass protection, you'd never even have to touch the guy. <laughs> right. If I if I just if, if I get if I just get to my mark and the guy's like, oh crap, he got there and he doesn't want to make contact with me and he wants to try to work back inside and I slide back down in there, he goes, I don't even have to touch the guy. You know, I stay in front yeah. of the guy. He's like, you know, basically, you know, again, when you hear the, you know, just stay in front of him. Why? He's like, if I stay in front of the guy and never have to touch him, three or four seconds, the ball's out. So he's like, why do I want to? Why do I want to have my hands out in front of me? Why do I want to, you know, be lunging and, and getting in a big hurry to go hit this dude when? That the name of the game is I don't have to touch this guy. Now, when he does get into my strike zone, he's going to feel it. And he's, he's going to understand, yeah. whoa, okay, whoa, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. So that, that made perfect sense to me. And then hit, the proof in the pudding for me was he'd show me some of his Colorado film. His left tackle was Nate Solder, who he, he, he <laughs> built, for, built from a tight end into a first-round draft pick, you know, playing for New England. And then his right yeah. tackle was Bakhtiari who now is the starting left tackle for Green Bay Packers and was an undrafted yeah. free agent, and now he's making multi-million. So I'm like, 
the guy knew how to coach tackles pretty good because those were the two that he had at Colorado, and both of them were fairly, you know, unheralded guys. You know, obviously had some talent, but, you know, three-star type recruits, they weren't, you know, hotshot recruits coming out of, out of high school. And I'm like, dude, that makes perfect sense to me. And honestly, when he started to use it with the guys at, at, at Tulsa, it also worked. I think we were top top 15 in, in sacks allowed. So that was kind of the whole thing for me that made sense. I'm like, dude, all right, perfect. So I tried not to give him those, those fists out in front and those things for the, the guys to be able to kind of latch onto and hit. Coach and all, uh, yep. whenever you did start seeing – that long arm, that, that one arm's longer than two, and, and that started getting big uh, with defensive linemen. What, what, did, what was your answer for that? Because um, right now, you know, I tried it in college. It was either, you know, punch, you know, whatever, karate chop down on the arm or it was punch up underneath the arm. Um, I know a lot of guys were, were banged down on the arm. I never, I never could get that done. I always got killed when I tried that. So I was up under the arm. Just kind of curious, you know, what you taught or, or what you saw that was successful. You're absolutely right. The first thing we go to is I, I would never try to, to, go, to go down because I would feel that that would put my weight too much forward. I don't want to play with my chin over my toes. I want to play with my chin over my belly button. Um, we, we would actually try to use a, a defensive lineman technique against him and swipe the hand hmm. and get it off of him and get him turned, and then now I have more surface to grab. Um, what, a, another thing I heard is when you feel that much pressure with one hand, it's almost to sit like a bull rush, and at some point that, the wrist or that elbow, one of their hinge points ha, has got to give. Mm-hmm. You, you can't keep your arm that long running into a guy and now he starts to resist, one of those two points is, is going to break down. Yeah, or, or he's going to have to slow down. So it's like you exactly. said, you, you, sit, you sit on the bowl, and all of a sudden now he feels that pressure back. He's either going to have to slow down, or like you said, the, the elbow is going to have to, to come un, unlocked. Yes. Absolutely. One of the things, that, and Denver done the same, he, talk, he talked about, okay, if the guy gets it like right up underneath your throat, like the guy's got you like in a bar fight, you know, and he's, he's got that long arm right up underneath it, he'd always say he'd want to have the hand pressure, so he'd be, he'd be feeling it. Outside hand would go on the dude's wrist, and then inside hand would go up on the guy's elbow. He'd almost treat it like an arm bar MMA style. Okay. He's like, so you're taking it here, and then boom, and almost kind of like it was almost kind of like hyperextending the thing, and he goes, trust me, the guy will never do it again. Now, you wouldn't do it in practice, but, but we'd talk about it, and you'd show guys, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that would work. So that was one tool he used. And then, honestly, Harper, you talk about, you know, the, the, the head snap or the, the hand slap down. Um, I'd actually talked to some defensive line coaches, and they said they hated that more than they did the swipe up. Hmm. So, honestly, then I started giving some guys a tool. Now, again, you, you talk about just giving guys tools. Some guys might be really good at the swipe up. Right. Other guys might be really good at sitting on the bull, as Coach Nall says. Other guys might be really, really good at the head snap. Teach them all three. And let them, let them kind of figure out which one works best for them. And, hey, if, if they're getting the job done, I'm just going to be like, awesome. You guys keep rolling with that. Well, it's something we're you – know, I'm nervous about enough. that That's, that's a drill that we work. Just like, uh, just like the bull rush drill where you're getting bull, then you have to sit it down, then they push bull. We do the same thing with, with the long arm because, you know, I haven't seen it very often uh, in high school around here. But it makes me really nervous because I think it's a really great move. And then, and then like you said, Coach Nall. Uh, a lot of times that answer is is guys start getting weight forward. Now the you know they're going to use that 
outside hand or whatever to snatch your outside shoulder and, and throw their hips in yep. and, and they're going to get uh, out around it. Right. Um, you know, to me, it, it, it's kind of like it, it's piggybacking off of what you guys have said um, when, when you're talking about the, the double team. Um, you know, I, I think it was uh, Coach Montgomery's yeah. podcast about, you know, the cover guy. Are you going to go – I've always called it timing crotch. You can call it settle. You can call it whatever, near foot, near number. Yeah. Um, my, my kind of – and I, I don't want to skip ahead if, if you're going to bring this up later, but – no, you're good. But kind of what I've transi- transitioned to is I used to be keep it simple. We're both going near foot, near number, and and now we, we've got to push on that angle at that 45 to the backside linebacker. And, and guys were having trouble because the guy's stepping right, but you really want him to go left. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And so that's when um, talked to the right guys. They said, no, your cover guy – has to go timing crotch. The other, the other uncovered guy goes near foot near number. Now you're you're timing your steps because you're stepping with the same foot, uh, and now you can work that angle better. Well, what I found is the longer that I had to spend on inside and outside zone because that was our bread and butter, the worse that we got at timing crotch near foot near number. We were bad at it. We weren't getting any movement. So I had to go back to the mentality of, no, you both go near foot, near number. And honestly, I don't care if you get great movement to the backside linebacker like we all draw it up on paper. I just want that defensive lineman displaced off the line of scrimmage, and I don't care where you take him. Get him gone. Yes. And reverting back, but changing the mentality of, I don't care where you move him, just move him has been the best thing that I've done in, in, in our power and even, you know, counter run game, any gap scheme where we're double teaming. That, that's been the best thing for us at Kingfisher is just I don't care if it looks pretty. I, I'm not trying to make a clinic tape on, on what my double team steps are. I want to get engaged, and I want that sucker stood up and on skates. <laughs> I don't care if you take him to the play side linebacker. The puller will have to adjust. And we actually work that drill more than we do, you know, driving on the perfect angle to the backside linebacker and the, and the square puller comes and hits the play side linebacker. Most of our double teams now are going to the play side linebacker and we'll take a, a tight wrap for the backside guy now. I like it. I, I think you're good. I mean, you're, you're running power. I mean, what's the, the whole thing that kills power? Penetration. So if I if – if I if I create a dent in the front, I'm going to gain yardage. It might not go to the house, but I'm going to gain yardage every time. And the guy has to take on that double team over and over and over. We're going to create enough dents. It has a cumulative effect. Same thing with inside zone. I got to move the nose tackle. If I don't get movement on the nose tackle, it's going to be really, really tough. So it, to me, if you're running both those plays, it, it all starts there. You know, you could say all you want about getting to the next level. If I don't move the nose on inside zone – and I don't create a dent with my play side double team on power, you're going to have issues with everything else. There's no doubt about it. Exactly. Yeah, I know there's, you know, a lot of coaches are still like to near step it. You know, I know uh, my dad uh, over at Berry Hill, he, he still near steps it. And um, we've had big, long conversations about it. And they still do it extremely well. And, and they put a huge dent in the, uh, in the three technique. So, you know, a lot of different ways to skin a cat like you talk about. But, it's really being able to buy into it and having your whole group 
buy into this is how we do it and and uh, having them all on the same page with that. I, I agree. And, and one other thing, again, I, I don't know if I'm getting off topic, but I, I think one of the probably the things that is least discussed with, with I know a lot of young offensive line coaches and even sometimes my guys forget it, is our alignment to the line of scrimmage. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because we're so much of a heavy inside and outside zone team, we are backed up as far as possible. Yes. I, I tell my guards and tackles, if those side judges aren't telling you guys to scoot up, then, <laughs> then that's it. I, I want them to give you guys warnings. I want to physically hear, because I'm up in the box, and that's a whole – it's a whole other podcast, it, but I, I hate being in the box for my linemen, but I love it for the view that I get of the defensive backfield. But I, I want to hear the referees come over and tell the head coach, your linemen have got to scoot up. Oh, and they're never going to call it. Uh, they won't call that, dude. No. <laughs> hey, uh, in, in college, they got after me every series, and every series the coach would come yell at me, and, and I'd be like, well, I don't get it. They haven't called it in four years. I don't know why they'd start calling it now. I'm going to wait till they call it on me once. Yeah, I'm not moving, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, hold, it's like holding, man. They'll call, it, they'll call it once, and then they won't call it for another three games. So, yeah, hey, we teach holding. <laughs> exactly. You know, being, being a zone team, we, we've got to get as far back as possible, get our steps in the ground, sort out what's going on. And the same thing is, is true for pass protection. I, I I love it even more for pass pro. Well, coach, when you're when you're near stepping uh, power, then when you're so far back, are, are you getting three steps in the ground before you make contact, or is it just a a bigger first step? Or how, how does that work out when since you are so far off the ball uh, near stepping power? I tell my guys to take that that first six inch step, get that second step in the ground even faster. Um, I, I, I know if you start talking about the first step and the second step with Jr. the first two steps, you know, it, that, that's when his, his blood pressure starts to raise. He's like, your third four steps are just as important as your first two. You, you better hit the free thing running. And, and, that's, and that's the mentality that I've taken is we want to start out on path with a six-inch step, and it could be two steps, it could be three, it could be four kind of depends on the um the alignment and the technique of the defensive lineman um there there have been times where my guard has been slow he's on three steps the tackle's been fast he's on four and it doesn't always look pretty uh our butts aren't always together you know we we don't always have that the the shield between us squeezing the butts and we're pounding and duck walking well we don't get that we're we're running off the ball and and it's, it's you cannot make a clinic tape out of my my gap scheme double teams. You can't because <laughs> nobody would buy it, nobody would watch it. But I'm just telling you, it it works for us. And um, I, I guess to to really summarize and answer the question, it could be two, it could be three, but there is no magic number for that scenario. I gotcha. Hey Harp, I was going to go back to the to the long arm stuff. I know you guys are going to Wyoming. Uh, their D line coach uh, AJ Cooper, mm-hmm. who is also at North Coast State, they they teach the the heck out of uh, the long arm technique. So if you want to you want to get some pointers from him on things that give them problems, I'm telling you, he's one of the best in America. I'd I'd heard him talk a couple times. He's a really good guy to to be able to speak to on that. 
That'll be great. I'm going to make sure and do that then. I'm really excited. We, you know, we're going to fly in, uh, I think, to Denver and then, and then drive, up, drive up to Wyoming and, and talk some, some, uh, some real football formations and some real football plays. And so hopefully I can, I can steal a little bit of his time and, and you know, see what kind of messes with it. Because, like, like I said, man, it, it is tough. And then, and then that grabbing your shoulder off of it makes it tough too. And then, um, you know, it, you, you got to be really prepared for it. it it's something that um, I'm hoping they don't figure out too much on, on defenses in high school. Yeah, that's true. We, we need to keep that one-arm pass rusher that secret. Yeah, that's right. Don't don't let any defensive coaches listen to this. Yeah, just just keep just keep running right into us and trying to do push pull. That's always good. I like that. You guys know it would make a great remote podcast. Would be to pod, to podcast from that cool clinic sometime. Uh, dude, I've I've actually thought about that. I think that would be uh, phenomenal. The timing for us high school guys. It's just so rough because it's it's right during spring ball. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's it's a real late clinic, isn't it? It's in May. Yeah, it is. It, it is, and you know, for some of our administrators, won't let us out of semester tests. I mean, I, I right. get that, but the time, it, it's not conducive to high school guys. I know that's not why they created the clinic. They created it for the the college guys, the NFL guys to get together. But it's it's just. It's amazing. It's an amazing experience. You know, and I think Coach Alexander would take me anytime if I if I wanted to go. So uh, I need to just just make the decision to go. But I think this year, you know, going to Wyoming and then going to looks like me and Coach Wilk are going to go down to Rice um, here here in a few weeks. You know, maybe here in the next couple couple of weekends, we're going to go down to Rice and and talk to some of those guys. So uh, we're a little bit booked with that, but hopefully. You know, here in the next two or three years, make it out there, and and I think it'd be great to start doing a, a remote podcast at a few of these clinics. You know, I think it'd be a, a pretty cool, fun idea, and and get to talk with a bunch of different coaches. Well, how about how about we just do this, Nald Dog? All right, we'll we'll get someplace in Oklahoma. We'll we'll load up some of the best barbecue, and I'll let you you choose that because you've been around the state a lot longer than me. And we'll just have an RTP right. O line clinic because I'm telling you right now, Oklahoma. And and guys that have coached down there, we could load that thing up, dude. You could make you you could make a laundry list of of Hall of Fame coaches that coach offensive line that have come out of Oklahoma. So, dude, let's just get our own going. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm in. <laughs> Perfect. We're going to hold you to that. I think I think we've been talking about it at Broken Arrow for a while, and I think it'd be I think it'd be a great thing. And like you said, Brady, make have our have RTP sponsor it and uh, have our RTP offensive line clinic and. Man, just talk about you know the who's who around around this area and and bring in you know um, Wareheim and and some of those guys that are from the Oklahoma area. It's it's uh, we were talking about it on another podcast. Just all the amazing coaches in this area and then the ones that have gone on and are doing really big things in college. And it's it's really really cool to see and and uh, you know it's cool to see a bunch of Oklahoma guys doing really big things at the college level. Yeah, we, we are really fortunate right now that we've got some great coaches, high school, college level. And, and the great thing that I love about it is, is the O-line community, the, the coaches, they're not big time. They're not pretentious. Not they at give all. You what they got. They'll no. sit down and talk to you like you're a guy that, that is trying to soak up the knowledge and, and not big time. That, that's what I love most. 
Hey, I, I was just saying, um, you know, I, I just uh, DM'd, I think, Wareheim last year. I was asking him about, um, you know, I've seen a bunch of teams when you got that head-up nose and you're doubling center and guard to the backside linebacker. I've seen a lot of guys using that, like, shuffle technique to throw it over. So, I think it was the middle of the season. We were playing a really good nose. Um, so, so I kind of wanted to, was curious if they did it. And so, I DM'd him. I didn't want to waste a lot of his time. And, and he gave me a little bit of information and then said, hey, here's my number. Just call me and let's talk about it, and I'll, I'll run you through exactly how we do it, you know. And that was middle of the season on, you know, probably on a Sunday when one of his busiest days. So, um, you know, those guys, like you said, they're down to earth and they just want to help help the game be better. Yeah, he's a stud. Dude, I mean, I, seriously, I mean, you can sit down. I know, you know, Coach and all, you, you've obviously been around a lot longer than I have, but, I mean, you got guys like Vance Vice at VTech. You know, you got, you got Pittman out at Georgia who's been all yep. over the place. Uh, Coach Biedenbaugh, obviously, he's been in, in Oklahoma for a while. I know he's not an original Oklahoma guy, but, you know, been in Oklahoma a ton. You got Langston down we in got. North Texas. You got, yeah. you know, De- we- Denver. Denver's a big-time guy. I mean, I'm, I know I'm leaving guys out, so <laughs> you could have a ton of guys that would show up. Oh, yeah. We definitely claim all those guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, Coach, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to keep you on here much longer. Um, you know, I know you got the, the kids and the muddy dogs to get back to. But, um, you know, at, at the end of every podcast, I kind of ask every coach the same. And, you know, you watch a lot of film. Uh, when you're watching another offensive line play, uh, what, are, what would they do that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Okay. okay. The, the thing that I'm looking for is, is linemen off the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and, and the teams that are good, you know, sometimes on those gap scheme plays, the, the play side will scoot up a bit. You know, um, if, if it's fourth and one and they're in four-point stand, everybody in the crowd knows you're running um, quarterback sneak, are they still at their deepest level or have they scooted up? Hmm. Um, you know, th- those types of things are what I look for. The next thing that I look for, honestly, and it's nothing to do with technique, is are those guys playing as a unit? Are they high-fiving each other? Are they picking up the running back, the wide receivers? Um, are, are they encouraging, you know, or, or, or are they those guys that are pointing fingers and you can tell they're all griping at each other and, and being negative and being bad teammates? I, I want to see if they're lifting each other up and being good teammates. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank our sponsors, Powerlift, Sky Coach, and Team Attack Academy. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.